Okay, so while you're turning to that, uh, could you raise your hand if you enjoy the work that you do? Nobody here enjoys the work they do. Okay, keep your hand up if you like your boss. Now, now mothers, that might be your children, uh, definitely not your husband. Uh, but if you enjoy, if you get on with your boss, if you like your boss, you're allowed to like your children. If, if you don't, I'm not sure I can help you with that. Um, it's nice, isn't it? If you get on with a boss, it, fe- it makes you feel good that you can trust him and he or she trusts you. In fact, I think... Uh, that for someone to really flourish in their job, they have to have the trust of their boss. And I'm sure that some of you are extremely good at your work and well-respected by your colleagues and well-respected and have the trust of your clients. Well, what if I told you that the Bible says very clearly that these people, we cannot put our trust in them. And there may be a time when they will betray you. But instead we only have one person we can trust in. Now this should be obvious, but it is God. And as we look at Daniel chapter 6, we can see this very clearly. So before uh, I read that, uh, that passage out, I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for bringing your word to us keeping it and preserving us, uh, it to us through your Spirit. And I pray that your Spirit is speaking through me today and that your Spirit is opening our hearts and our minds to accept the teaching that you have for each one of us today. Lord, help us to clear our minds of what uh, has been troubling us through the week and help us to be renewed in your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. So I'm going to be using the ESV version, the International Standard Version. Uh, I'm sure that any translation, uh, the general gist will be the same. There will be minor points. Uh, I think people sometimes quibble about that. Uh, But the main points should be the same. If not, come and ask me afterwards. So, Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. 
all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the councillors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce, and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had, he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O God, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of, your, uh, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes this petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established, uh, establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought down and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continuously, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of the lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to the palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and, in no, uh, and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den when da where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, 
The lions overpowered them and broke all the, uh, the bones, uh, their bones in places, in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Well, it's a familiar story, isn't it? We all have probably heard it from when we were very young, because it's a great story to tell the children. Although you do wonder why somebody just has a den of lions just there for the execution, and enough lions to eat 122 satraps, and that's a lot of lions, and they must have been very hungry. Not just the the satraps and uh, governors, but also their wives and children. Even those who have never been to church will probably have heard this story of uh, Daniel and the lion's den. It's interesting, though, that whenever I look at the pictures of the children's stories, I see Daniel as this strapping young man, sometimes with his shirt off, uh, sometimes with a beard, as, as all serious Jewish men should, but generally looking quite young and able. The scholars and historians tell us that Daniel was about was in his 70s when this happened. Now that's amazing, isn't it? The church in Bukhinda that I, I preach at, a couple of months ago I preached on Joseph. And Joseph, when he was uh, thrown into the pit and then sold off into slavery, was 17. And by the time he became head of Potiphar's house... This is one of the most powerful men in Egypt. By the time he was put in charge of Potiphar's house, he would have been between 18 to 20. And I held him up as an example that you are never too young to be powerfully witnessing and working for God. Well, with Daniel, it's the opposite end of the spectrum, isn't it? I have a lot of young colleagues, so I often feel old and I work with children and... They make me feel old sometimes, and I struggle to get up in the morning sometimes. Uh, But this gives me no excuse, no argument in his 70s. And he goes on after that, working for, I don't know, 10, 20 years. And he's still working as hard as anyone. No fault could be found in his work. He worked just as hard for his Gentile masters as his Jewish masters. Any Jewish master. Not because he was working for them, but because he was working for God. If you look back at the story of Joseph, when he is tempted by Potiphar's wife, he says, I cannot do this thing because it would dishonor God. And we see the same with Daniel. 
Daniel works this hard because it honours God. So just as Joseph worked for Potiphar, uh, Daniel earns Darius' trust. Now, we see that Darius is tricked into signing this audience, uh, ordinance, this law that says that people should only worship him. And you have to wonder, why, why would he do this? This seems like a strange and crazy thing. But it doesn't take much to look into history and see that any rulers, anybody in power or wealth, has tried to do exactly the same thing. It's trying to be God. It's trying to play God, isn't it? And you can see that the, the, the satraps and governors come before him, and it's so... Uh, It's so silky uh, sweet, isn't it, what they say? O King Darius, live forever. Surely no one should worship anyone except you. Flattery makes fools of us all, doesn't it? Probably one of the few times in history that 122 politicians have come together to agree about anything. But they conspire to bring Daniel down. But Daniel has other priorities. And this comes, brings me to my first point. Prayer is essential to our relationship with God. Prayer is essential to our relationship to, with God. Now, I wonder what your quiet time is like. How would you react if you were asked not to pray for a week? As I said, I get very busy in the morning. Uh, I struggle to wake up. I get busy in the morning and it's go, go, go. I have to think about the lessons ahead. I have to think about my duties. I have to run through those and I have to rush down some breakfast. And so praying, sometimes I'm guilty of, of letting that go. So whether I've done that for a week, I don't know. How about for a month? Could we go 30 days without praying? What if it was death on the line? 30 days without praying or death? It's interesting, isn't it? I don't know whether you could do that. I don't know whether I could do that. But the little rules lawyer in the back of my head says, well, I could probably do this But pray in my mind. You can't see what I'm thinking of. Sometimes in the shower, in the morning, I I will like to pray because I'm washing and I can pray at the same time. Um, I'll pray before my meals. I'll pray. uh, This this last term has been exam season and when I'm invigilating, supervising exams and walking around the, the, the... walking around the exam hall, I can pray while I'm walking and watching the students. And when I'm at the dentist, I, I pray. You, you, want to, you want to pray that when you're at the dentist and someone has something in your mouth and they're drilling away. And, but you, you can't do anything. and You pray. Um, not just for safety, but you, you pray for other things as well. And when I'm having my haircut. Now, you can't tell what's in my mind. But what does Daniel do? And some of me is thinking, what is, is he crazy? He goes to an upper room where the windows are open to Jerusalem. 
And he prays out in the open. Three times a day he prays. Well, what does that say about Daniel's, how much important, Dan, uh, importance Daniel puts on prayer? His relationship with God, his continual communication with God is that important, is more important than death. It puts into my mind children when they first leave home. Often they have to ring their mother at least once a day. They need to talk to them. They need to say they miss them. They need to you know, just excitedly tell their, their parents about wonderful things that have gone on. I have to confess that's not me. When I first went away to a camp, I went to this Christian camp, and about five days in, my mum rang the camp and got me on the phone and said, well, what are you doing? I said, sorry, mum, I've just been having a good time. Um, and I'm guilty of that. But isn't it natural that a child will want to share things with their parents? And my close friends, when I first got to know them, when I first, that exciting time of getting to know some and really enjoying that close friendship, I would be on the phone daily to them. And those of you who are married, what was it like when you first started to get to know your partner? You talked and talked, didn't you? That is the love that we, we should have for God and the need for prayer to put it above death. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10 verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. How true this is of Daniel. So I have to ask you, uh, I have to, you have to ask yourself, how much do you value your prayer life? And what does that say about your relationship with God? Prayer is essential to our relationship with God. But it seems like a small compromise, doesn't it? It's those little sacrifices we, we, you know, that, that really get us. We see in chapter 1 in Daniel, Daniel's asked to eat food sacrificed to idols. And he's with his friends. Now for the Jews that is a big thing. That is a big no-no for the Jews. In chapter 3, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's friends, are asked to bow before a golden statue. These are big gestures, aren't they? We know that we would, hopefully if we're not too scared, we would say, no, we're not going to do these things. When ISIS took over various towns, the Christians in those towns were asked, are you a Christian? And they knew execution was going to happen to them. And still they said yes. Those are big gestures. Those are obvious ones. But to not pray, that's one of these small things, one of these small sacrifices, it seems. As I said, I can... Even if it wasn't, uh, even if it's not death that's on, on the line, 
I can go a day without praying sometimes. It's a small sacrifice though. And this brings me on to my second point. A relationship with God is make or break on the small compromises. A relationship with God is make or break on the small compromises. When I was a boy just in the sick form and applying for universities, another Christian, an older man, suggested that I don't put down my church activities on my university application. And it really gave me pause to think. I wasn't sure what to do. And I don't regret, regret looking back on it, choosing to ignore that advice. And I don't know whether I would be here today if I had followed that advice, because it's those small compromises. As if the God of heaven and earth, his decision could be changed by some human who might take offence at my gospel activities. Over the years, I'm not sure, I'm not certain, but I think that I've probably lost some jobs or uh, applied for jobs and been turned down because I've said that I have a strong faith uh, in Christianity. And it hurts, doesn't it? And it would be so easy just to say nothing about my church, nothing about what I do for the church, nothing about my faith. It would be so easy. It would, be, it would have been so easy for Daniel to choose not to pray for those 30 days. It's, not, it's just 30 days. It's not like he's coming out and denying God. It's not like he is coming and wanting to, you know, being asked to bow before an idol. It's just 30 days without prayer. But it is these small sacrifices that makes or breaks our relationship with God. It's an easy compromise, isn't it? Don't pray. Don't tell people you're a Christian. Don't share with, uh, your faith with others. Death and imprisonment is a, is a real threat here in Malaysia for those things, isn't it? How easy is it to get by and not share our faith with those around us? God has proved time and time again that we can trust him if we put our trust uh, in him in these small things. I was taught that a Christian never stands still. Either he is uh, growing deeper in his faith or he is backsliding. Now God loves you and knows that you will fail tests. The Bible tells us that we are sinful and that we will continue to fail. But if we want to continue to grow in our relationship with God, we cannot compromise on these small things. Our relationship with God is made or broken by these small compromises. It is like the weeds, and I've seen this in students, just recently, this last year, a student chose and said he was too busy to come along to the Bible study. And so they two did. One said he was too busy. And yet he found every uh, time every day to make sure that he was playing basketball. 
Now, I know that he still has a strong faith, but these, these small compromises, I don't know. I wonder what's going to happen to him. Another student said he was too busy with work. For half an hour Bible study just once a week in an evening time when he would probably be going and chatting to his friends. It's these small compromises, it's these weeds that choke our relationship with God. My next point is about persecution. And it's not a pleasant message, but the Bible doesn't sugarcoat it. You will suffer for being a Christian. But we have a God whom we can trust. This follows on straight after uh, my last point. You will suffer for being a Christian. But we have a God who we can trust. And we have rewards that are so much greater. For those of you who are not Christian, who are listening to this, we have so many more rewards. A perfect peace, a promise of eternity, a relationship with a living God. But we, will, we are promised that we will suffer. You see, Daniel was well liked by his king. In fact, I would go as far as to say they were close friends. You see, when, let's have a look down at verse 14. Darius, when he hears of Daniel's imminent execution, that he has failed to obey this law, Darius is distressed. And he goes on to research day and night for a way to free Daniel. Now, you don't do that for someone who is just, you see as just a servant or just an acquaintance. When Daniel was thrown into the, the, the pit of uh, lions, the den of lions, he does, Darius doesn't have a good night's sleep. He doesn't sleep. Now, Darius was one of these old school kings who would have had feasts every night and all kinds of entertainment. But he denies all of that. He doesn't want to forget about Daniel. He doesn't want to try escape and do something else. And first thing in the morning, he rushes to the den of lions and shouts out for Daniel. Now, the irony here is that, do you remember why Darius signed this law? He wanted to be God. Well, what's happened now? Well, he can't change this law. He can't do what he wants to do. He is no God. You see, rulers and authorities only have the power that God gives them. But Darius, he is, it seems that he is a good man and he loves Daniel. He cares for him as you cannot imagine a king who is all so powerful can do for another, another person. We also see that Daniel is respected and he is uh, unbelievably good at his job. Let's have a look down at verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regards to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Does that remind you of someone? Well, we'll come back to that. 
So he was well liked by well he was loved by his bosses, well respected by his peers, and unbelievably good at his job. How on earth did he get into trouble? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 23 says this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his, foot, in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Let me read that again. So it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 to 23. For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. A few years uh, ago, my pastor back in London was preaching about this passage. There were questions at the end of the sermon, and I asked the question, If we are Christians and we are witnessing for God and we're not suffering, are we doing something wrong? Should we go out and find suffering, find persecution? Is that wrong that we are just living comfortable lives? And he said, thankfully, he said, no, that's that's pretty uh, crazy if you want to go and search out suffering. But surely enough, a year after that sermon, just over a year after that sermon... My school took issue with a prayer letter that I had written, and I had a school disciplinary. Now, I am no Daniel. Uh, I'm not claiming to be Daniel, but I I know uh, that I was well-liked and respected by my colleagues. I got on very well with my head of year and my head of department, my immediate bosses. Uh, One of them was a Christian. And I knew that the parents uh, had no complaint against me, and the parents liked me. I got on very well with the parents. And I thought I was very safe because of those things. So the question I asked at the beginning, and the, 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 the reason why I say we cannot trust in these things, because I didn't think about this story This story, I should have known that I cannot put my trust in those things. At that time was a difficult time because all my support structures, all the things I lent on and that I trusted in were taken away. They were ripped away, leaving just one. And that was my trust in God. It's still painful to look back on that because... I did put my trust in those things and I was betrayed. But God was teaching me a lesson that we can trust in him. You see, Daniel has experienced this over his years. And you can see that he's surprisingly calm here, can't you? He goes home and prays, verse 10, as he he had done previously. Despite the threat of death, he goes about his normal business. And when he is thrown into the lion's den, he goes meekly. He goes quietly. He goes without complaint or exclamation of innocence, like a lamb to the slaughter. Recognize that? But he trusted in God and God alone to deliver him. 
I hope that when suffering and persecution comes to you, unlike me, you aren't putting your trust in other things. You're putting your trust in God alone. If you're secure in your job, if you're working hard and witnessing as a Christian, then most likely persecution will come to you. And I hope that you remember Daniel's story and put your trust in God alone. So those are my three points, but I've actually got four points. Uh, This morning it was three points. Those two last points were, were, were joined into one and I kind of muddled it. But you'll be pleased to know that my last point is very quick. And what is Daniel, this passage all about? Yes, you can say prayer. Yes, you can say trust. Yes, you can say it's about no compromise. And if you've ever taught Sunday school, there's that child who sits at the front with their hand up. What's it about? It's about Jesus. Well, how can it be about Jesus? How can this be about Jesus? So, let's have a look back. We have a man who could have found no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So they conspired to use his faith against him. Does that sound familiar? We have a man who goes without complaint or exclamation of innocence quietly and calmly and meekly like a lamb to the slaughter to his execution. Does that sound familiar? Look down at verse 17. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet. Does that sound familiar? And we see that Daniel is raised up after a night in the tomb to life and freedom and more power than he had before. He was set in charge of the whole kingdom. In Acts chapter 7, last year we were working our way through Acts, but in Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives a sermon before he is martyred to the Sanhedrin and to the Jewish people. In it, he lists and says that God's chosen man throughout the ages, throughout Israel's history, God's chosen man will be persecuted even to death to stand as salvation for his people. The culmination of that is in Jesus. So God's chosen man will stand and be persecuted even unto death to bring salvation to his people. Well, some of you will probably be thinking, Daniel is not standing as salvation for his people. He's just kind of standing as a witness to God. He's not standing as... But in the grand scheme of things, God has a different plan. If you read the start of the book of Ezra, it says, in the first year of the king, King Darius' reign, this is Darius the Persian. Let's have a look at the last verse of this chapter. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius 
And the king, sorry, it says uh, the, the first year of King Cyrus's reign, sorry. Uh, and the reign of King Cyrus, of, of Cyrus the Persian. So Daniel continues his work ruling over the whole kingdom, not only through Darius's reign, but into the reign of Cyrus. Now, what happened in Ezra? Ezra led the exiles back to Jerusalem. God's people are returning to God's land, God's kingdom. And Jerusalem is rebuilt. Now, during the the reign of uh, Darius and Cyrus, the exiles that had been conquered and brought to Babylon and to uh, uh, the Medes and the Persians, the Persian Medes and Persian empires, all of those exiles were allowed to return home. Can you imagine what a mammoth administrative task that was? And who would be put in charge of that mammoth task? 122 politicians have been uh, killed, have been wiped out of the way. All that bureaucracy, I know we get frustrated at bureaucracy, but all that bureaucracy has been cleared out of the way, leaving one man in charge. That is Daniel. Daniel is put in charge in history of the return of the exiles of God's people to God's land. You see, Daniel is a foreshadowing of Jesus. We see salvation through Daniel. We see the ultimate salvation, obviously, through Jesus. The lessons we learn from Daniel, his faithfulness and godliness, shine that much brighter when we see their fulfillment in the scriptures in Jesus Christ. So as we look at Daniel, we have to look at Jesus. We look at the way that Daniel prayed and was faithful in prayer, and we see Jesus being faithful in prayer and teaching us how to pray. We look at Daniel and see his uncompromising faith. And we see Jesus uncompromising even unto death. Even the powerful temptations that he faced, even unto death. And we fall to our knees and acknowledge the salvation that God brings. You see, Jesus is the answer. And we look to his salvation. And so as we read Daniel, we have to look to Jesus and acknowledge his salvation. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the example of Daniel and help us to value our prayer life, our communication with you as much as he did. We ask and beg for forgiveness the times when we have passed over that opportunity to pray because we are too busy or because we're too tired or because something else is too distracting. Help us to have as an uncompromising faith as Daniel. Help us to strive to grow in our love for you and on our witness for you, taking every opportunity to show our love for you. Lord, we pray that you protect us when we are persecuted. 
We pray that you bring this story to mind and that you are with us and that we can put our trust in you. Even if it's to death, even if it's uh, to a negative outcome, to know that you have a plan and to put our trust in you. And Lord, help us always to be looking to Jesus, to loving you for the salvation that you gave us through Jesus and the promise of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.